Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, talking some USC Trojan football. Got some news to discuss. A lot of questions. Man, this is for uh, for an offseason, no signing day, anything. You guys have sent in a ton of questions about the USC football team, and we're going to talk about that team with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist here at uscfootball.com. If you have any questions or comments, Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call or text. The number is 424-254-9141. We got texts, we got emails, we got voicemails, we got news to discuss, and we're going to do it all with our buddy Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Doing good. Um, uh, glad to hear about those questions. Uh, and, I can, you know, that probably is, as much as it, you know, happens during the season, uh, you can balance it out with practice and games and all that. In the off season, you really don't have as much to balance it out with. So maybe that's where it's like a vacuum where it just expand. You know, the uh, questions expand to, you know, to fill that uh, <laughs> that open space. I don't know. So, yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah, there's a void there. You know, we're you know, it, we've definitely grown the podcast over the last ten years where we can do multiple podcasts a week, even in the off season, just because we get enough questions coming in. There's enough news to talk about recruiting, signing day, all that kind of stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll get to all that. I wanted to thank our sponsor Trader Joe's before we jump into anything. I am just, uh, out of lunch and I ate a sandwich I made with everything from Trader Joe's at home. (laughs) So I was like, Oh, I'm going to talk about Trader Joe's on the podcast today, but I had a smoked Gouda cheese and, uh, some Turkey breast, and, uh, yeah, little, uh, some of the wheat bread I got there and stuff. So, uh, nice little sandwich. Uh, we got to make, and there's little snacks that my wife got there. Like, I, I mean, I forget what they're called. They're like these kind of date snacks that they're little patties and you put them in there. So I had one of those before I went, but my wife and I actually did, uh, we made homemade pizzas the other night, Dan, with the pizza sauce and we got pepperoni and a bunch of different kinds of cheese and stuff. And now she did buy this crust that were like frozen crust that were, um, cauliflower which i was like eh, i don't know I, uh, I like the regular crust but they were they were pretty darn good you're uh you guys are a living walking uh Trader <laughs> joe's uh commercial literally when you when you start out with smoked gouda you're thinking okay we're going to trader joe's here with this yeah there, it's like uh, i don't think i've had it before that's like if you buy the sliced cheese this was like sliced smoked gouda that uh you know in the package so yeah i had it on my sandwich today it was good but yeah check out trader yeah. joe's they don't, they don't have a Twitter, they, but you can check them out on Instagram, uh, Trader Joe's, and they've been uh, they've been great to us. There's a there's the new one over at USC um, that Dan and I have both checked out. So, but wanted to thank Trader Joe's again. Um, all right, Dan. Well, let's see. We got uh, breaking news. We got some news to talk about. So, we got some questions about Clay Helton's extension that we talked about before. I don't know. Actually, we maybe we might not have talked about it, but. Um, maybe you want to lump that in with USC defensive coordinator Clancy Pendergast and offensive coordinator T. Martin 
Everybody gets an extension, Dan. So uh, USC wins the, <laughs> the Rose Bowl. They win the Pac-12. And now the top three coaches on the roster get uh, get extensions. Yeah, I think we just missed by uh, maybe a day or something, uh, Clay, uh, last week. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, the new news is the uh, uh, the coordinators both getting extensions. Not a lot of, you know, clarity on the uh, extensions for the coordinators in terms of, you know, how long. And you know, USC doesn't have to tell you how much. Uh, uh, but... Uh, uh, I mean, I just think it makes sense. I, I don't know that you want your coordinators to go into, you know, a last year together with just a year on, you know, on their contracts. Obviously, you don't want Clay Helton in that situation uh, when you're going into a signing day, especially a signing day where they had the best signing day in the country. And uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And if you're a USC, you say, wow, we were really smart to do that contract extension and then have, uh, you know, have the signing day, the eight, eight signees, uh, again, the biggest haul in the country that took USC from number 12 to number four. Uh, you know, that's one of those places where as much as we hear, is everybody pulling together? Is everybody working together? How does this all happen? Uh, that's, that's the way it can happen where you, uh, where you do get that together. And uh, and they came through, and and nobody did better than USC uh, for signing day. And uh, you know that's certainly one of Clay's strong points. He's a closer. He's very good in home. Um, you know, parents love him, uh, kids love him. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's not just an act. It's not just something that he does because he has to. It's something he he loves doing, and it, it comes across that way. As far as the uh, uh, the coordinators, obviously, you know. Extension is an extension, so they obviously have more than the the one year that we thought they had remaining, which makes a lot of sense. It doesn't mean if, uh, you know, T gets that offer that, uh, you know, a lot of people, including Clay, think he's going to get. That doesn't mean that, you know, he'll that it'll change and, and, and keep him from making a move. But uh, I think it's just a, it was just a good message to send. And I think I hope it's it's a message that said, look, uh, uh, we may not be going out and hiring the two million dollar coordinator uh, that you know LSU is hiring, uh, but you're our guys, and we expect you to you know expect you to do better than LSU, for example, and we expect you to you know if you're number four in recruiting, uh, I think one of the numbers I saw uh, was that in the last five classes which would make up this current roster. USC's had three top five classes and two top ten classes. So that's five classes, all in the top ten, three of them in the top five. And I think when that happens, you have to expect this is going to be a program that's going to be in the top five or right there or fighting for that spot. And I think that's the expectation that you want to say with, you know, with T and, and Clancy is figure out how to get it there. And T's got some things to work on. Obviously, the red zone offense was just awful, beyond belief. Uh, third and fourth down conversions, uh, not good. The ability to run the ball uh, when you had to in short yardage, not good. Um, with, uh, with Clancy, you know, a lot of decent talent, uh, the kind of talent that could, you know, for example, hold Stanford seven times inside the you know, three. 
uh, and yet finished something like whatever it was, 68th and 82nd in uh, in defending the run and total defense, and that's just not good enough. USC is better than that, and USC has to be better than that. Got a lot of players on defense. They've got to figure out a lot of athletes, a lot of young athletes. They may not be perfect, but they got to figure out a way to get them on the field, and I think that's the, the challenge for Clancy is uh, you've got a ton of young talent, a talent that hasn't played that much, a talent that has to be on the field next year. And um, I think next year's team's got to be a team that wins games with defense, that, and that means no breakdowns. You can't win games with defense if you give up 13, 40-yard-plus plays. I think that's got to be a big, uh, you know, big focus for this defense. So I think it's good that both of them are, you know, have gotten the extensions, and I think it's good to get a focus on both of them have work to do, and um, and they've got to, you know, they've got to get some things done by next year. We had a couple of voicemails about uh, mostly Clay Helton's extension, so. I'll play one for you now, get your comments, and we'll play. We, just keep in mind, we have a second one after that. So here's the first one. J.D. from D.C. with this question for Dan. Dan, I'm wondering if there are two considerations in the renewal of the Hilton contract that haven't been widely brooded on the boards yet. One, maybe Swan looked around. You know, he's just doing his due diligence and really didn't see any candidates that would be immediately better than uh, Hilton. And... Hilton would have to perform pretty poorly next year to take the risk of replacing him with somebody who wasn't going to obviously be an upgrade. And then, two, of course, there, uh, there's every reason to believe Clay Hilton is not overpaid. And any new hire would demand much more money and at least a contract that would uh, go through 2020 as well. Yeah, uh, as far as J.D.'s concerned, I think a couple of things. Uh I know there are those people who say, well, he's not, he's not the national guy that was the top guy that you could hire. He's not Urban Meyer. He's not Nick Saban. He's not, uh, you know, Dabo Swinney. Uh, and that's who USC needs. Well, that's unrealistic. That isn't going to happen. It didn't happen. It's not going to happen going forward at this point. But there are people who say, well, you know, no extension because we don't, you know, we'll just let this year go, throw this year away kind of and then bring somebody else in. First of all, it's, and, and, and not to be too mean about this, but it's USC doing the hiring. Um, and we know how that's gone uh, over the you know, recent years. So who would you trust at USC to do the hiring and to do it right? And is USC ever going to get in that market where they're going to start throwing around you know, uh, 4 to $5 million a year uh, to start. Uh, that's not what USC is ever going to do. So I think you, you look at Clay and you say, hey, you know, the guy's a heck of a recruiter. He's, uh, you know, the kids, you know, really love, you know, playing for him. He's not an embarrassment in any way uh, after, you know, what preceded him. And um, let's face it, he's won 21 games. He's won a Rose Bowl. He's won a Pac-12 championship. Um you know, two, uh, you know, January 1st bowl games in two years and that kind of thing. You just, you have to look at all your, all your options. And at that point, I think your option of, okay, we're going to go in and get in the open market and we're going to spend all this money and all that is not even an option. That wasn't even a possibility. So I don't think there was any option other than extending clay. Uh, uh, and again, 
if it works, great. And if it doesn't, then, you know, after a year or two and you decide, gosh, this really isn't working. Now, I don't know that anything other than the inability to handle really athletic physical teams and be prepared, you know, for the Alabamas, the Ohio States, Notre Dame when they're at home and got two weeks to get ready for you. Uh, other than that, USC isn't, uh, you know, they've caught up with Stanford. Somebody might say, well, that's Stanford falling back. Probably a little bit for sure. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know for the people who, you know, think it's fantasy football, where do you go uh, if you don't go with Clay? And, uh, and, and, you know, Clay's a young coach, a young head coach. He's got to overcome some things in his background. He, he you know, he coached six years for, you know, Sark and, and, and Lane. He um, coached 10 years at Memphis. I'm not sure. It takes a while to get up to, um, you know, national championship speed. I mean, let's face it, uh, Nick Saban started at Kent State, his alma mater. I think uh, Urban Meyer started at his alma mater, University of Cincinnati. I mean, neither one of those guys, you know, came out of, uh, you know, okay, Dabo played at Alabama. But uh, guys can come any, from everywhere, and they can get maybe where they need to get. Um, but I think we need to see, uh, you know, we need to see some of that with the uh, with contract extensions, like for the, the coordinators. I think we need to see, okay, here's where we're going to change some things. We are going to be serious about getting in the national championship hunt, and we're not going to, you know, no more excuses, no more, you know, you know, 12 games and da 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 da. No, nothing. No excuses. Uh, and and you just go for it. And I think we need to see that. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the in the spring and how they go for it and uh, and do some things change. And and we hope what uh, we hope they do. We had one more voicemail on that. Here you go. Well, uh, Ryan, coach. Dan Weber, this is Daniel out of Los Angeles. Um, I'll just say, I guess, with this uh, extension of Clay Helton, we're pretty much back in the Paul Hackett era. Uh, wouldn't expect too much of the staff or the people that he usually brings in. So I guess USC can expect at least one or two blowouts the season, and we should temper our expectations and not, you know, expect the big uh, the big wins and just hope that they happen. So we're not let down every time it doesn't happen. Um, maybe Lynn Swan will be able to go down with Paul, with uh, Clay Helton with the next three or four years if this does not work out. Um, however, USC football is now stuck in mediocrity for the rest of his tenure. Um, I, I don't see him doing anything big unless he changes his way on uh, football and strategy and just at least letting the quarterback huddle up. <laughs> Start there. But, yeah, I, I don't see USC winning a championship as long as he's a coach. Thanks, guys. Fight on. Yeah, uh, well, as far as Daniel's concerned, I think you can say you need to do some, cha- you need to make some changes to win a championship. We're talking national championship. I don't think there's any question about that. But I don't know that you're talking, oh, it's mediocrity. Uh, I mean, you did win one of the great Rose Bowls of all time. Uh, a year ago, and you did win the Pac-12 championship this year. Uh, and so, and you did win 21 games, and, you know, the, no other coach, USC's won 20. Obviously, they, they play more games now, so you can win 21 more easily your first two years. 
But I don't know it's mediocrity, but I don't know they're set up to win a national championship either. So they're somewhere in, you know, in between. They're definitely not in a mediocrity place uh, at all. Um, you know, for example, as bad as Ohio State made USC look, you, Ohio State a year before looked way worse than that in, in the playoffs when they got beat 31 to nothing. 31 to nothing. Urban Meyer got drubbed by Clemson. So I don't think Ohio State took that as, okay, we're, a media, we're in you know, mediocrity territory. They figured it out. And they didn't have – they've got some issues. They don't have – they have a great offense. Uh, but they made what they had really work for them. And I think USC has to figure that out and have to do it. And, uh, you know, are they moving in that direction? Uh, I mean, for example, I just saw the last week, I think, or last couple of weeks, Ohio State has hired two uh, defensive coordinators, one from Washington State, um, to be position coaches. So they're bringing in defensive coordinators who've done really good jobs at big, you know, big time programs, uh, and making them position coaches. So uh, they're doing more than you know, extending contracts at Ohio State. I don't even know if that's the right way to go. I mean, sometimes you wonder if a, a defense coordinator is going to be happy, um, you know, just coaching a position. Uh, but uh, but they're competing, and you know, and they're trying to they're trying to win a national championship every year. You know, whether you can do that, you know, coming out of the Big Ten now, I don't know. Uh, but USC, I think, has to think like that. Uh, that you're, and, and, and the coach has to say and show you that he's doing the things that can help you win a national championship and they can, you know, win over guys like Daniel who will say, okay, they did show up. They, you know, they were playing that really athletic team. Uh, and they're going to have a chance, obviously, on the road at Stanford and Texas in the second, third weeks next year. They're going to have a chance to show you, are they becoming the kind of team that can win with defense, win with toughness, win with physicality, um, and do the things that maybe we didn't see them do as much uh, as they needed to do last year. Uh, but, but I wouldn't go anywhere near uh, your characterization of mediocrity and, you know, they're just going to wallow in. They're recruiting too well to do that. I don't know that that can happen when you have as many good athletes on your on your team as uh, as USC has right now. We uh, Earl in West LA had like kind of he wanted to get your comments on the extension, so I think we we went over that. We had one from Jr. in Long Beach. He said, "There's been a lot of discussion about hiring assistant coaches without a Trojan connection versus promoting from within the program." Uh, that, that's me saying that, JR. Uh, the example used uh, for the advantage of going outside is typically Dylan McCullough. I get the general point, and Coach McCullough certainly did a great job, but some people overlook the fact that he is no longer here. Um, that's a disadvantage of hiring top assistants without prior connections to the staff. They often leave click quickly when they get an offer from someone they uh, do have a connection with. Tim Drevno was another example. USC hired him in 2014, but he left the following year to rejoin Jim Harbaugh, uh, who he was close with. And uh, as soon as Harbaugh returned to college football, plus in football as a business, guys who did a great job at, an, at another organization don't always shine when you bring them in. Fight on, JR in Long Beach. JR, I could not disagree with you more. That is an excuse to not hire. That's an excuse to not hire good people. I don't buy that one second, but I want to get Dan's thoughts on it. 
No, I think without a doubt, you cannot have that mindset that, oh, well, the defensive hires. This guy, he won't have anywhere else to go. He likes USC, went here, he played here, whatever. So we'll be able to keep him forever. No, you can't do that. Now, you point out, uh, that's a good point, uh, that guys, USC is a big stage, a bright, bright lights. You do a really good job at USC, for example. Delay McCullough was probably just as good a coach at Indiana as he was at USC. Uh, but the whole world knew about it after his year at USC. Obviously, he got hired by a buddy of his from uh, you know, the NFL. But, uh, but I think uh, you, know, you make that point, and if you do well at USC, people are going to come looking, looking for you. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, Tyson Helton got credit for Sam Darnold. And uh, now, as reported, getting $1.2 million at Tennessee. Life is good. Uh, so, there's, you know, people are going to move on, move up and move on, and you just have to keep uh, using that as a challenge to say, well, who can we hire to replace that guy who will be just as good? And the pluses you get, I think, from bringing in a Delan McCullough is you get a guy who can recruit the Midwest. You get a guy, I mean, they obviously have a running back, uh, you know, that they signed this year that would not have ever signed had they not gotten, uh, you know, uh, Deland on the staff. So I do think there are some ways that even if it's a short term, you can benefit the program, uh, you know, for a longer term. But, yeah, I, I think we've got to get rid of all of that negativity in terms of, oh, this isn't going to turn out well for us or we just got to, you know, not shoot for the stars because you might not make it. And so, you know, cut back your expectations. Uh, I don't, don't buy that at all. Like, you know, you're probably going to admit, okay, we're probably we're not going to have as much money as LSU or Michigan or Ohio State to go out and hire these people. But we can do our thing. We're in a, in a Pac-12 that gives you a built-in advantage in some ways. You ought to be able to plan the way Pete did, that we're going to be in the Rose Bowl every year, and then if it works out, you get to go uh, beyond that. Uh, fine. I think USC has to have an idea every year going to win the Pac-12 and we're going to see where that leaves, uh, that leaves USC. And uh, I got to think like that. And I think that's, you know, it starts with who they recruit. It starts with who they, uh, who they sign up as coaches. We had uh, some comments from Bob in Newport beach. He said, I'm getting ready. Uh, it's getting really hard to listen to some of the podcasts with the constant Clay Helton bashing uh, from questions. Apparently a new coach, with a new system and new staff, it's supposed to win every game and win it big. Close wins are like losses to uh, these doomers. Clay Helton, he says, has proven to be an excellent recruiter. He's bringing back the tradition of consistent winning. He represents the university with class and dignity. And he seems to run a clean program that won't put us on NCAA probation, as John McKay, John Robinson, and Pete Carroll all did. USC has been playing football for 125 years and has 11 national championships. It has also been on NCAA probation for 15 seasons, second most in the country. I want USC to win championships as much as anyone, but I want to do it right. I believe Clay Helton can win our fair share of championships leading young men we can be proud of as they represent USC. I'm happy Lin Swan finally showed some support for his coach. It was about time, Bob in Newport Beach. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to get fixated on, uh, you know, this team didn't show up, at, you know, for Alabama. They didn't have the right quarterback. They didn't uh, show up at Notre Dame this year. Uh, they didn't handle the short week uh, at Washington State very well with some injuries. Didn't have the backups ready to go. Uh, you know, they had a lot of, you know, wins that backed up where, you know, they could have – I mean, and, and I, you know, I know a lot of people look at the Texas game and say, how do they win that game? They look at the Utah game said, whoa, they, they won that game? Or they looked at, you know, uh, Cal and Colorado and, you know, games like that and said, man, this shouldn't have been that close. And they're right in, in, in some ways. Uh, this was not a – uh, a completely well-prepared team. Uh, but it's only the second year. I think uh, I think they just they, they have to use this year to figure out what they got what has to happen for next year, building on all the strengths that Clay brings. So you look at the strengths that Clay has, you look at the strengths that the people on this staff have. you look at the strengths that this football team has, even if it's a lot of young guys. Uh, you got to figure out how to make that all work for you. And you got to do it in a way that, you know, you don't compromise anything, including your own expectations. I mean, for example, I think a big challenge for this year will be to say um, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. This is the program. This is about, you know, defense and special teams, and we're going to do everything right. I mean, you know, Clemson didn't exactly feel like, you know, the, the, it was the end of the world when Deshaun Watson left. Uh, Alabama last year didn't know who the heck was going to start for him at quarterback. And then the guy that ended up starting for him last year didn't win him the championship this year. Uh, I think you just have to figure out, this is, you know, figure out ways to compete, figure out ways to get the job done. And uh, that's, uh, I think that's the, that's the challenge, I think, you know, for USC at, at this point is, how do you take that next step with all the, the pluses that USC has going for it? Uh, how do you overcome the negatives? And, uh, and you know, we're going to see in less than four weeks uh, or four weeks, I guess, exactly four weeks, exactly till, uh, till spring football. Crazy. Um, it's, it's getting here very quickly. Uh, okay. So those were kind of like a lot of the coaching questions and stuff. That we had and just did the news of uh, USC signing extensions, not that we have a lot of details on them, but signing extensions for the two coordinators. There's also some unfortunate news that we're just going to tell you what we know for sure. Um, Former five-star wide receiver, uh, freshman Joseph Lewis, was arrested on a domestic violence charge Monday afternoon, um, and he was detained. Uh, He was released this morning, which is Tuesday morning, Around 1 a.m. Uh, on posting $50,000 bail. Um, it's a 273.5A charge, which is defined as a corporal injury on a spouse or cohabitant. So it's basically that's domestic uh, battery that leaves a visible injury on the victim. So there's actually something that you could see uh, on the victim. So um, we got a statement. I asked USC. They sent me a statement um, that they take all reports of domestic abuse seriously, and they're cooperating fully with law enforcement, uh, the law enforcement investigation. While the student con- code of conduct issue is being investigated, the student has been suspended from all football-related activities, and then student disciplinary records and student conduct proceedings are confidential at USC and protected by law. So... 
the long and the short of it, Joseph Lewis was arrested, uh, released on bail, and is suspended from all football-related activities at USC. Yeah, I mean, all we can do is feel, you know, sympathy for everybody involved here because we don't know the story. We don't know all the details. We, you know, it, you don't want to say, well, you know, you need to defend, the, you know, everybody's innocent until proven guilty because I, I think in some ways that makes it look like, well, you're not paying attention to the victim. Um, you know, and the, obviously there is a uh, a victim here, uh, a named victim, and I'm using more the legal terms because there was an arrest, uh, and so you have to feel, you know, for everybody involved, uh, you know, and this is one of those cases where uh, you may not get three strikes. Uh, you know, you may just, uh, you know, have to figure out how to move on and, and, and start over somewhere. Uh, but uh, you just, you know, it's just a, a feeling of sadness when something like this happens. It just for everybody involved uh, and, 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 and to let it develop. I think you don't want to find yourself in a situation where, and to, to make a football analogy, it's the same thing where who's going to start next year? Who's going to start? And you say, I kind of let let them decide that. Let let it develop. Let the facts come out. Let let's see what happens. And I think you have to do the same thing here. Um, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, I think you know the suspension is 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 certainly the correct thing when it you know when you're talking about an arrest and you know somebody's in jail and has to be bailed out and all that. You're talking about you know something you know significantly serious and uh, football. It's probably not uh, a part of, of that situation at this point in time, and you have to let it let it play out. Let hope everything is done correctly by the book, fairly, that everybody is treated fairly, that everybody gets the help that they need, uh, and the you know the resources and the sympathy and the, all of the other things and the empathy and whatever can be done to to make you know everybody involved in this. Uh, you know, come out in a way that that they can move on and 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 be better for it. Uh, and as as much of a scourge as you know, the domestic abuse and, and violence is in our you know in our culture. Uh, you want to be able to say how you grow from it, how you learn from it, how do you make it as as right as you can make it. What lessons do you learn? And with feeling, you know, for everybody involved, however, however that plays out, it's just, just nothing. But um, you know, and because the word had been going around, and you get the text and and all of that. And I remember just saying to somebody, all I can feel is how sad this is. It's just, it's really sad. And I don't know what else, to, where else you go after that. Yeah, and just just to clean up a few things, uh, March 6th is his court date, um, and it actually happens to be the first day of USC spring football practice, so um, certainly wouldn't expect to see Joseph Lewis uh, around for spring football. And, you know, we don't know going forward, but, you know, I I would say the odds are against seeing him in a Cardinal Gold uniform going forward. You know, we'll see, but um, we got to let it all play out. We don't want to speculate on all kinds of stuff because there's just too many rumors and everything 
kind of going around, but just like Dan said, just, uh, you know, just terrible. You hate seeing situations like this. You hate it for victims. You hate it. just affects so many people. And uh, we've seen too much of it in society lately. And, and you would, you hope people learn from it, but I don't know. I'm not sure if people are, Dan. That's tough. Yeah, I, I think the other thing we don't know is he's suspended from football activities. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's suspended from class activities, uh, but that that's a tough, you know, handling that part of it is tough. A, a real, you know, challenge for somebody who seems like he's had some challenges recently and, um, and you know, just hope whatever resources can help everybody involved in this are able to be used and able to, you know, help people get on the right path and, uh, and, and get back to where we hope they can get back to. All right. Well, we got, we got a bunch of other questions too, to get to, uh, Dan, they're kind of, I guess they're kind of all over the place you could say. Um, so we'll just kind of go through them. There's some different topics. We're going to talk some hoops a little bit. Todd McNair stuff. We got some questions on that, but uh, we'll start with Earl in West LA. He said, I couldn't help but notice that when Jake Olson snaps during games, the opposition had previously agreed not to rush or otherwise physically challenge the play. The few videos I've seen when he was at Orange Lutheran High School show the defense rushing the play when he was in. They did not appear to be altering play due to his handicap, and does U- as does USC. Will Jake ever? get to really play or will he uh, be limited to only those special non-contact situations, Earl in West LA? You know, Earl, I, that's a good point. And I hadn't thought about that going forward. I do remember seeing uh, him at Orange uh, Lutheran. I think you might be right now that I, I, I remember that. And maybe, maybe it was one of those because he did it every uh, extra point, every field goal. It wasn't, one of those things where you had to kind of clear it with the other other coach and the other team because it was a special, you know, situation. And you might get to the point where uh, you get to that uh, uh, that place with USC if if Jake, you know, does it more often or, or more times. Uh, I mean, he is a, a you know six four, two hundred and thirty five pound guy who uh, he probably can take care of himself. I mean, it's not. Not so much a case of um, you know when you're you're in the middle of the uh, you know the the offensive line blocking like that, you're basically foot to foot. Guys, you know, often have their feet behind the other guy's feet, and so um, you know. I, I mean, I guess you're at a slight disadvantage if somebody tries to hurdle, and I know that's technically not necessarily legal uh, that you go and hurdle. You know, the, one of the uh, the blockers on a on a place kick, but uh, I, that's a good question. I don't know. We'll we'll find. We'll ask. Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess it would happen. For example, if they ever put Jake in without you know clearing it with the other team, you would think it probably will. It probably will happen. So uh, so we'll see. Um, yeah, I thought the same thing. I was just like. You know, I think he wants to do it when there's you know, there's the rush and everything. Um, you know, he's a big kid. He's not like some frail, frail little guy or something. Uh, he's he's tougher than most, I would say. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> think there's any, there are any. Uh, most long snappers are kind of in that 215 pound range, kind of. You know, they're they're and they're guys that can go down and cover on punts and what have you. 
Jack might be as big a long snapper, you know, as, as there is in the country. I don't know that, you know, they tend to not be as big as the regular offensive linemen because those guys, it's a little hard to, to get that snap down when you're as big as those guys are. So um, he probably, you know, doesn't, um, you know, suffer from the inability physically to, you know, to compete. And you watch him hit a golf ball, and obviously, uh, you know, he's, he's as athletic as heck. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, that's a good question. Um, let's see. We'll move on to Tarek. Uh, could Randall Grimes transition to becoming a tight end? No, you know, with the numbers they've got, I, I would see him more as that hybrid type, uh, I, I would like to see him run more plays. I'd like to see him run more hurry up. You know, we were all excited about they were going to do that against Ohio State, and they didn't do it at all. They ran kind of slow down. I think USC, with the number of players they've got, I think they ought to be figuring out how to play faster. If you play faster, then you can think about things like that. But, I mean, let's face it, they've got a lot of, got a lot of bodies, you know, at tight end. Uh, and so, and the other problem I think you've got with the Randall Grimes He's got the multi-position background, but his multi-position was quarterback and receiver. And you don't very often see a former quarterback who can put his hand on the ground and block people. It's just there are some skills that that just don't transfer. And and quarterback transferring to uh, being a down blocker probably, probably doesn't happen. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you there. Um, he had one other one. Um, when Clay Helton was hired, he stressed that USC would be a run-first team. Over the past two years, do you think he has held to that promise? No. They want to be. They don't know how to be. And, uh, and that's the problem. It's a, it's, a, it's a couple of problems. It's uh, the physicality, uh, it's the way they work at it, and it's, it's the scheme. I mean, I just think... Man, it's hard to run uh, from the shotgun with a one back and just run straight in the line of scrimmage or down on the goal line. I mean, it, you know, if you can run in there easily, that means you're probably way better than whoever you're playing. But uh, I think they, they, need to, they need to figure out some things in the run game. I don't think there's any question. I mean, a team that had Ronald Jones should have been, and, and four, basically four veteran offensive linemen, should have been more dependable on the on the run game when they when they knew they were going to run and the and your opponent knew you were going to run. Uh, they just didn't get it done. They didn't. I mean, you know, they forced. I mean, Ohio State didn't let them run the ball, but they also got tremendous pressure on the quarterback. I mean, when you get into a game like that and you can't run it or throw it, um, you got problems. And so I think they've got to be able to run the football they've got to be they going into this season it is the single most um, thing they have to be able to do is run the football and clay i know you know takes pride in you know when they know you're going to run it and you can still run it when the going gets tough and iron sharpening iron all those kinds of things that has to happen this year it has to happen in spring ball they've got to figure out how to get the run game right got to get better in the red zone got to get better in third and fourth down conversions and 
and it's the it's the single most important thing they have to do going forward. We had uh, one from Stan. This was back to uh, the Coliseum groundbreaking. He said, I didn't see Pat Hayden in the groundbreaking photo. He was leading the Coliseum project after he stepped down from his AD position. So what happened to him? Fight on from Stan. Well, you didn't see him in the photo because he wasn't there. Uh, I think that's the, and he did get mentioned. Uh, he did get a, a first thank you from, uh, from Lynn Swan. But there, I mean, that's, there are, uh, you know, his parting, it, it, you know, not only his duties at USC, I think if you, I mean, when the kind of the, the last big, you know, duty you did was to hire Pat, hire Pat, excuse me, hire Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, and then, uh, there's, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things about the Coliseum renovation, uh, and decisions that were made that people aren't that, you know, thrilled about. And so maybe it's easier just to not remind people. And then there were some, some of the issues that, uh, the, you know, stories in the LA Times brought up about the, uh, the foundation work. Uh, that Pat was involved in that um, um, have left uh, kind of a, a not such a good taste in, in people's you know mouths. So uh, I think that was I, I wasn't sure if they would have him back for that or not. Um, but I think um, I think it's it's clear it's just probably better that the the disassociation happens. Now, what happens, you know, when the the new tire structure is online in a, you know, couple of years, does Pat come back, you know, for that, uh, to be part of that? I don't know. Uh, to be at a football game. Does Pat come back to a football game? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good answer. I, I don't have a good feeling for, for where that stands right now. All right. Let's go to Dan, uh, class of 1962. Now that recruiting is over and we got one of the best classes in the country, it's time for our coaches to start developing a depth chart. When John McKay was our coach uh, in the one platoon system, he developed three players, uh, I'm sorry, three groups of players, a gold, cardinal, and green team, 33 players who played regularly. Last year, we seemed to play only 22 players the whole game in a time when you can have unlimited substitutions. Players can't be strong in the fourth quarter if they are playing uh, the whole game on offense or defense, except maybe the quarterback. Will this year be different? Will the coaches develop a team that will have players rotate so that at least 44 players are playing? This would also help develop needed depth in case of injuries and increased team morale. When you have quality athletes not getting on the field, you can't develop a team spirit and depth. Your thoughts from Dan. Yeah, Dan, I, I, I agree with, with much of that. I think John McKay did it because USC had a lot more players. I mean, there were a lot fewer limitations on scholarships. So USC had a lot of players. I mean, when you can say, uh, Mark, you know, and this was at the end of his, his time and the beginning of John Robinson's, when you can say, uh, Marcus Allen, we already have a Heisman Trophy winner, a tailback, and Charlie White, so why don't you just be the fullback and, and you block for him and then you'll get your time. <laughs> You'll get your time in another year or two. Uh, yeah, you're probably not going to have that situation. But uh, but I agree with you. Uh, USC needs to to play a lot of guys. They need to play fast. They need to play, you know, try to take people out of games uh, with your defense and rotate. 
I don't think there's any question that was a secret with the um, the Eagles at the end. Everybody thought, you know, it's going to be the uh, you know the the Patriots going to you know get them at the end, but the Eagles didn't wear out. They didn't wear down because one of the things they did was they played seven defensive linemen. Uh, I think USC has to has to get to that, and I think you know there's a there's a way they probably need to coach them up a little bit more for college football than uh, than to expect NFL perfection, you know, week to week, and and go with the talent, go with the athleticism, go with the uh, you know, and, and like you say, get everybody on the field that deserves to be on the field, and uh, and because you don't want kids who really are, you know, good enough to be out there and practicing hard enough to be out there to not be out there. You know, I mean, maybe at quarterback, it could be interesting, even at quarterback, how they figure out, you know, the the kind of riddles that they're going to have to figure out with the, uh, you know, the two holdovers competing in the spring and the freshman, you know, JT Daniels coming in in the summer. And uh, is there a way to, you know, to play more than one guy? Obviously, the last couple of years, Alabama has done just that. Uh, and uh, is this one of those years where you figure out how to make that work for you? Uh, but I think that's the challenge for this coaching staff is to take these guys. And um, USC has way more players than anybody they're going to play next year, I think. I think they got way more from one to whatever that number is uh, of the guys who can play. Nobody they play will have as many players who legitimately can be on the field. I mean, you know, those recruiting numbers back it up. Those, those, are, those are good numbers. And um, USC now has to figure out how do we make that work for us? Because that kid, you know, who's a great recruit, if he's not on the field, he's not doing you any good at all. And it might be one of those things where it's, not, where it's kind of working against you if um, – you know, if a kid with the talent and the ability to contribute a little bit uh, isn't getting that chance. So, yeah, I think that's the big challenge is figuring out how to take advantage of the advantages you have. And USC's got them in terms of number of athletes who could contribute. We got uh, Stephen Poway. He says, Dear Dan and Ryan, with blazing 4-3-40 speed, can we expect cornerback Isaac Taylor Stewart to contribute, A, on kickoff returns, and B, on the offensive side of the ball? He's got crazy speed through traffic, and no, I will not compare him here to anyone else who graduated from Helix High. But the comparisons are inevitable when you see him run OMG. That's from Steve and Poway. Yeah, he's got... He gets into a higher gear so effortlessly, he just he just glides by people. And because of his size, he doesn't look you know he doesn't look like you know some scat back that's just running away from people. But all of a sudden, you realize he's not anywhere you know in the same zip code. He just ran by him, and and then when you see the that four three number, you think, holy criminy, that kid with that size at four three. I mean, he doesn't look like you know like a cornerback. I mean, first thing you look at him and you say, "This guy's a cornerback." Uh, I mean, the more I watch his tape, the more you get intrigued with him on offense. Uh, this is you know straight up offense. Uh, 
And I don't know. I think the return game is going to be interesting. I, I like him. Uh, I obviously like, uh, you know, Amon Ra, uh, you know, as a punt return guy. But uh, but I I think there might be some some significant new looks in, in the return game this year, and uh, he would be one of them. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I wish we could have seen more in Stephen Carr last year in the kickoff return game. But if Steven's going to be your, you know, your workhorse on offense, you probably don't want him, re, uh, you know, returning kicks. So that may uh, absolutely be a place for uh, for your Helix guy. And uh, I, uh, he's, he's he surprises me. I, I find his video uh, just surprising when you see how big he is and and the kind of acceleration he's got. I mean, he just. Uh, He's uh, something you don't see much. He's a different often. cat, man. Yeah, I'm. He's one of those guys you just want to watch and see what happens when he gets to college. Uh, could be special. Yeah, um, we had one for yeah. Poway's down San Diego way, so you know that's where uh, oh, Steve yeah. loves that. Trent suburban San Diego, yes. Yeah, uh, Trent sent in this text. He said in Clay's presser after National Signing Day, he stated that the best player will play. Uh, whether they are freshmen or not. Do you think that we could see more freshmen and redshirt sophomores uh, on the field this season? Since next year, we will lose a good bit of talent to the NFL. I think it will be uh, beneficially to get the young guys snaps. If so, please stress the importance of a new punt returner. Harris can't get the job done. We have plenty of other options that could do a better job. So that kind of was going in one direction, then he switched gears and took a shot at Harris at the end. Yeah, I think you're going to see a new punt returner. Uh, Johnny doesn't need to be worried about that. It's just you know you you need to get you know get him focused on uh, on, on that slot defender and uh, and the heck you know with anything else. I mean I think he was in there because they didn't seem to have any other answers, uh, even though he wasn't the answer either. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think uh, true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores, I think are all have to be in the mix. Uh, and and getting as many snaps as they can, which is why I think they've got to speed the game up. I think USC, for some reason, I mean, you've got Sam Darnold and you're slowing the game down. I I I don't you know I, I didn't I didn't quite get get what was going on there. Uh, and and I do think you know on defense, I think they got to speed people up and just take them out of their game. I mean, they just got to come after people and. Um, and and play as many people as possible. I, I would like to see a speeded up game with more plays than than we saw this year. And it wasn't it was terrible on offense. It just I'd like to see it see them push it, uh, push the window you know as far as they can push it. And uh, and 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 that means playing as many of these guys as they can play. Uh, it just uh, you do want to you know get them all ready. Uh, you've got a lot of bodies that. Uh, certainly look like they've got the physical skills. And by next year, you know, from, from this year's freshman class, uh, I want to see as many of those guys that can get on the field, on the field. We uh, had another text question from Marcellus uh, in Las Vegas. He said, you guys have mentioned Clay Helton skipping the traditional end-of-season press conference. I recall that uh, McKay, Robinson, and Carroll were masters of the media, while Smith, Hackett, and Kiffin became alienated and defensive. 
Where do you think Clay Helton is at this stage of his USC tenure? Is he still comfortable or has he become wary or even weary of the media and fan base? Great show fight on Marcellus in Vegas. Well, that's a good question, Marcellus. A good observation. And, uh, yeah, you don't want that situation where they're trying to hide from you or they know. I mean, again, one of the famous moments um, <laughs> in recent USC coaching media history was the softball that I lobbed to Lane Kiffin that day when I was asking him about, I think Khalid Holmes was coming back and he had missed the Stanford game and they had a disaster and nobody at center. And Clay had in the back of his, or Lane had in the back of his mind, I don't want to talk about injuries, I want to talk about injuries. So I offered him the, well, it looks like you can move down the, you know, really get it going again this week because he's going to be back at center. And Lane, it clicked in Lane's head. He's asking me an injury question. I don't want to answer injury questions. I'm not going to answer injury questions. So then that famous, uh, I'm not talking about that, and he walks off, you know, with the whole world there videoing Lane's walk-off. And you don't want that. You got to, you know, I mean, I was trying to, I didn't do this very often, but I was kind of trying to help him get through uh, a press conference after one of the worst exhibitions we'd ever seen, that, that loss at Stanford. And uh, you couldn't help him because he was in a bad place. He was running from us, running from everybody, was, uh, you know, getting ready to, sh- sh- you know, shut down practice and all that kind of stuff. Okay, that doesn't work. You got to you got to not be afraid of it. And there are times, you know, even with Pete, said, you know, I'm not answering that. I'm just, I'm not going to answer that. Uh, yeah, I, I know Clay probably had a, a, a lot to do because they count on him so much in recruiting. And they had so much recruiting still to do after the bowl game. So maybe, you know, that's a pass. We'll, we'll give him a pass or not. Um, I mean, you wanted to be able to talk to him after he saw the Ohio State film. Because once you saw the Ohio State film, you just, you know, and what happened to the USC offensive line. And I know it's easy for Clay to say physical beats. That's what happened, physical beats. But it was so awful, and they they did such a bad job. I mean, it was comparable to the Alabama game to start the year before. And when at the end of your second year, if you go back to – that horrible game that started your, you know, the last two years, you got to know why, why, why did you get to that place where you couldn't block anybody? How does that happen? Uh, and wish we could have asked him about it and still wish we could ask him about it. I kind of tried to ask a question at the signing day presser about, have you, you know, and I, I, I tied it into the recruits and I said, well, you're going to be changing some things with, uh, you know, a JT Daniels, for example, coming in, and, you know, you got a, a quarterback you got to incorporate who won't be here for spring ball. Couldn't get him to bite. Couldn't get him to talk about um, uh, possibly changing anything. I mean, we're going to know if anything's been changed. But, uh, yeah, it would, be, uh, it would be nice if Clay would have, you know, kind of faced the music even if he didn't, you know, didn't have the answers at that point in time. Let's hope by, you know, again, this is really important what happens between now and spring, what what the coaches are saying to themselves. What did they see when they looked at that film? 
what do they think are the answers to, you know, some of the, the issues that this team has? I mean, they're, they're, this team is, is as far down as it is in, um, you know, 120th in, in red zone offense. I mean, that's just that's impossible. You cannot be that bad. And, uh, and those are questions I think we'd all like to ask. And if we don't, uh, don't get them before spring, we certainly will get them, you know, at spring. And, uh, and Clay's pretty good about, about, you know, he's a good, he's got a lot of coach speak and he still has a pretty good relationship. He wants to have a good relationship with you. Uh, I don't think that was the case necessarily, uh, for Lane. I think Lane has probably changed since then. I think Sark kind of wanted, you know, like him, but he was hiding stuff that he didn't want anybody to know about. So it made it very difficult for, for Sark to, to have a, a, a kind of an open relationship. I mean, I, I, I told people, I think, uh, Clay had just gotten the job and, and just hired some people and I was in, uh, uh, in McKay talking to, to Callow- Coach Callaway and I realized, and then I coached Baxter and then Tyson Helton and I told them, I said, you know, I haven't been in this building for two years. The the two years that uh, that Sark was the coach, we never got in the building. And uh, you don't want that. It, it really, you don't need it to be a fortress, and you don't need them to be afraid of you, because that, that you know, you know maybe Nick Saban can do it, and he don't want to, he don't want anybody hanging around, palling around, and he doesn't care if he answers you or not. Uh, but uh, but mostly you got to have some kind of a relationship, I think, with the people that cover you every day. Yeah, uh, I would agree there. Clay's certainly somewhere in the middle um, of those two where, you know, he's, he's he's friendly with the media and stuff. But, you know, there I think it's just the overall culture is a little more conservative, a little more uh, tightened up than, you know, it was under some of those other guys you mentioned, like Pete Carroll and, and John Robinson, John McKay, guys like that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of defensiveness at this point. I mean, I think they understand people are coming at them. Uh, I don't think there's any question. And that that can work, you know, positively. I don't think there's any question that the extension of contracts for all of them probably uh, partially uh, responsible for that is the, uh, you know, the talk and the, the sense of what's going on here. And I think they feel that. I think they feel the, you know, the pressure. And um, so I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing, but um, uh, but they they also know what people are saying and who's saying what and 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 where this goes. And I'll be honest, some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff we probably do, is meant to say, here's what we think you need to do. Here's how we need, you know. I mean, I for example, Ryan and I have a big advantage. We went through the entire Pete Carroll era, and I, we saw an awful lot of really good football practices. And I, somebody posted the other day when they mic'd up Todd McNair for like six and a half minutes of a spring practice one year. Oh, my goodness, it was so much fun watching that and taking you back and realizing how physical those times were and, and, and just a, it had a whole different – character and i'm going to recommend to clay that he watched that just that six and a half minutes of of spring ball from you know probably like 2008 or something like that 
that uh, somebody posted the other day because um, they weren't afraid of anybody. They weren't afraid of anything. There wasn't any kind of negativity about, uh, you know, where things were going to go. And that, you know, you'd like to see that, that return, that sense of, you know, we can step on there with anybody because, you know, you're not going to intimidate us. You're not going to out-hit us. You're not going to be more physically prepared, more, uh, you know, prepared, period, uh, than we are. And uh, there's nothing you can do. And that, I'd like to see that, that sense of, uh, you know, I'd like to see that return. But, uh, but you know, we, we've had the, I think we, you know, one of the advantages of going through the Pete Carroll time, and not so much the personalities and the, all the glamour and the glory and all that, was to see all of those really good practices, those competitive, those tough, and yet they weren't long. They didn't do a lot of hitting. They just competed, and they were physical in, way, in smart ways, and um, they developed an attitude. And uh, I think, you know, they kind of maybe lost it a little bit toward the very end. Um, when the, you know, coaches changed and they didn't exactly find, you know, that right combination. But, but, uh, but I think, you know, this, this staff has to figure out how do we get to where they were in terms of, uh, you know, competing and physically uh, just being, being tough as can be. And I think they've got, the, they've got the raw material here, but I think they have to make the commitment, uh, you know, to being those kinds of teams. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, we had this voicemail question. We actually got a couple emails too about Todd McNair. So I'm going to play this one for you and get your thoughts. Hi, Ryan. Uh, my name's Steve. Uh, appreciate your show, podcast. Love it. Uh, Dan, very insightful. Only thing I got to comment, I just listened to the latest one. I don't think USC would ever send a head coach to another school to see how it's done. Going to Clemson, I can never, ever see that happening. But other from that, great show. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I think I think there are some things, you know, whether – I mean, one of the things, you know, obviously Pete Carroll never let anybody come watch him except uh, – uh, What's his name? Frank Solich, after he got let go at Nebraska, was the, literally the only college coach that was allowed to, to watch how USC did what, what they did. I think one of the things you could pick up by going other places, though, is just the general structure of, uh, of how it all goes together, the weightlifting, the nutrition, the, um, the recruiting, all of that kind of thing. I, I do think you know that would be, uh, would be a plus. And I'd like to see him if they could do that, uh, go other places, just because I think there's a, a little bit of a hesitation about, um, you know, the physicality and the full pads part of it that, that I think maybe USC's gotten a little bit off the track and I think they need to need to come back. And, uh, I mean, we try to make it as obvious, you know, when Ohio State gets to Dallas and uh, before they go to the hotel, they have a full pads, full, you know, two-hour practice. The next day they have a full pads two-hour practice. And in those two days, USC doesn't practice day one and has a walk-through day two. And you think, you know, Ohio State's already got two 
to our full pads practices ahead of USC. We tried to make that a big deal because we thought it really was a big deal. And if you watched the game, it probably was a big deal. It was, this is how this team approaches things. This is how USC approaches things. And I think, you know, we're probably, you know, believe in that and, uh, and feel like, you know, it's the one area USC probably needs to rethink, uh, in terms of how they do things. Uh, but, uh, so the more you could go around and see how other people do it, the better. Uh, but I mean, let's say that they've got Terry Colbert and he was at Alabama for a number of years. So, I mean, they've got people who have been there and, and, and seen, you know, how it works. And, I mean, John Baxter was at Fresno, and I guarantee you Fresno under Pat Hill with tough as can be. I would think Michigan with he was at Michigan with Harbaugh. I think those guys, uh, you guys play, you know, pretty physical football. So I, I just like to see them figure out, okay, we're not in a place where we didn't, we don't have enough scholarships. We're not in a place where, uh, you know, we really have to be overly cautious. We just need to do what's the right thing to do for this football team. Um, so if you can go watch other people do it, that would be my, I would encourage it. I think I screwed up. That was not the right question I was looking for, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, but you know, Hey, that's, I like, but you answered it. Well, we had like, we had Alex from Simi Valley, Frank in Sacramento, both wanting to get kind of updates on the Todd McNair, uh, lawsuit. If you want to give one there. Well, I mean, we're now, we're talking about nine weeks till trial and it sure looks like they're going to trial and you know four days after the end of uh, 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 spring football they're going to be in Los Angeles Superior Court and uh, apparently the uh, you know the NCAA is spending millions of dollars to defend this lawsuit and I know there are people who say why would they do that they you know they don't have anything on their side you know the facts aren't on their side the Evidence isn't on their side. Um, Todd McNair's, you know, treatment, uh, you know, the sympathy and the emotion, all of that's not going to be on their side. And some people theorize that their job right now is just to make life so difficult for Todd McNair that even with a really good case against the NCAA, they're not going to give in to you and that nobody going forward will ever have as good a case as Todd McNair has because nobody's going to get emails the way Todd McNair did because it, at that time the NCAA thought they were bulletproof they could do anything say anything get away with anything didn't matter well now they know it does matter and they can get you into court because of the uh, you know smart attorneys who figured a lot of things out in the Todd McNair case got the NCAA to court kind of trapped the NCAA figured out you know the NCAA would try to get the case dismissed use that in order to get discovery, when they got discovery, they got the emails, and I, I would guess going forward, there's nobody on the committee on infractions or on the staff at the NCA ever going to write emails like that ever again, and so they're going to make it hard, uh, you know, for people, and they've doubled the size. That I think it looks like to me of the committee on infractions, and they rotate people, and. They're, they're much more of a moving target going forward. Uh, in this case, if they lose, my guess is they'll just say, hey, 
we got sandbagged. They brought us into L.A. There wasn't any way we could win the case, blah, 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 and and just go from there. You know, they've got plenty of money, eight or nine hundred thousand or eight hundred or nine hundred million dollars in the bank. You know, it may cost them a lot, but uh, looks like they're going to fight it to the end. I know that, that still doesn't mean they couldn't settle and maybe they will. Uh, I know if they settle for probably what they would have to settle for, if you're a member school in the NCAA, you're probably calling them up and saying, you gave him how many million dollars? And that comes out of our, you know, we're all sharing this equally, and that that's money that could have been used for something else. So, uh, but I think that's where it is. It sure looks like in nine weeks, <clears throat> We're going to be talking about uh, the NCAA versus or Todd McNair versus the NCAA uh, nine weeks in a day, I think. We had uh, one from Don, and then we're going to talk a little hoops at the end. He said, "Tell Dan when Oscar Robinson uh, Robertson went to." Uh, I said, "Tell Dan when Oscar went to from the Bear uh, from the Bearcats to the Royals." The word about the Missouri Valley Conference, he took a pay cut. All uh, all in for St. Brown. The antics will stop. I believe he will bring some fire to the offense. Hopefully light a fire under the the offensive line. Uh, those are comments from Don. But I guess because you talked about Oscar Robertson before. That's yeah. what he was saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the only reason we brought that up was, you know, like a Sam Darnold, he was such a great player, and then he left, and they actually got better and started winning national championships, even though he was probably, I think, in some ways, the best college player ever. Uh, uh, you know, I know people would you know, talk about Kareem and you know, Bill Russell and all that. Uh, one of the things that happened, USC or UC at the time had a co-op program. So uh, guys – went to class half the time and they co-opt half the time. So that was before the NCAA wouldn't let you do that now. But guys had like regular jobs. And I don't know if Oscar was working for Procter & Gamble or who he was working for, but uh, it was a different world. I mean, and Jerry Lucas, whether you guys remember Jerry Lucas or not, great All-American at Ohio State, but he got his coming out of high school. He's a genius. It's one of the great memories of all time, and he, he does all kinds of uh, used to do all kinds of things on television with his unbelievable memory. He got his uh, general insurance license, and he the story we always got was that he was able to the the number one Ohio State booster was a man named uh, John Galbraith, who was owner of the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates and owned I don't know if it was Nationwide Insurance and all kinds of things, <laughs> and Jerry Lucas got his insurance license and was uh, able to sell to John Galbraith all the insurance for all his companies and got the commission, which was legitimate back in the day. Yeah, so that that day was a whole different day uh, from the day uh, that, that we have now where they maybe aren't going to let you. I mean, I'm just saying, and I don't know if that's right or not, I watch ESPN. You watch college basketball. How much money has Trey Young made for ESPN? How much have they featured him? How much, you know, have they talked about him? How many promos and all that? You know, and here's a kid that benefits zero, you know, from that. 
and you do really wonder, you know, the coaches are making millions and millions and millions of dollars, and, you know, these kids aren't getting almost any of, of that. And uh, it makes you think maybe it was better back in the day when maybe they did get some of it. Yeah, maybe. We'll see if that changes going forward. Um, What's a good segue, though, because our last topic is basketball. Uh, We had three different questions about basketball. Um, I'm going to read you Nick's because it's short, and I'll give you some some of the points of the other two and get your thoughts. So Nick from Cyprus, he said, uh, what's going on with the men's basketball team? They're letting such a promising season slip out of their hands after being ranked in the top 10. Uh, I get Coach Bland was fired in Melton, but we got to make the tourney with this talent. But I feel we don't look good. Um, John in Oakland, uh, you know, same sort of sentiment. He was talking about some of the excuses with the FBI, and would that be enough to avoid Coach Enfield being fired? So he's going, he's taking it to another level. And then Joan, very, uh, she watched the USC UCLA game and was really breaking it down. Joan, I appreciate you doing that. Um, I mean, going through a lot of details, she knows her basketball uh, for sure. I'll read what it's, – this is really long, though, um, so I'll read it at the end. Um, it, she says, as my esteemed mother would have said, they look like mamby-pambies out there. No discipline, lack of execution when it matters most, and lack of the will to win. The coaching stinks. Uh, what the heck is going on here? Sorry for the long email. I know it's inappropriate. But I'm talking about both basketball and football. Uh, there are parallels. So she was comparing. She was doing some comparison there. But that was from from Joan. But kind of get your thoughts and let John and Nick and Joan know what you feel about what's going on with this basketball team right now. So is that is that Joan from uh, Ketchum, Idaho? Is that I, I don't know. It was uh, okay. She didn't. She didn't put where she's from. Okay, so I do get uh, stuff from Joan, and she absolutely knows her stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, I know one of the, for example, I just happened to be a friend of, uh, I, I kind of followed him into coaching, the father of the current coach at the University of Cincinnati, Mick Cronin. And they came out here to play, I think they're 23-2 and two now, and they're number six in the country. They came out to play UCLA, and I went over to watch them practice at Poly on uh, uh, Friday, uh, Friday, I guess it was, the day before the, the game. And... and they build around defense and hustle and toughness and playing every play and not the greatest talent, although maybe a little more offensive talent than they've had. But I know one thing from watching their practice, they were not going to let Thomas Welch, UCLA seven foot standstill, you know, set shooter beat him. And I think he got seven shots. He made two uh, and played like 35 minutes and was no factor at all because that didn't, they weren't going to, you know, if he doesn't score the ball, UCLA's in trouble. And they beat UCLA, you know, convincingly at Poly. And then you watch USC play UCLA. And let's say, yes, USC recruited Welch like crazy. Kid went to Loyola. Uh, they know him as well as anybody. And then at crunch time, there he is, you know, 21 points, hitting wide open you know, standstill shots because nobody knows where the heck he is. He got the last five points and the deciding points in the game. It was a perfect example of, yes, he just kind of doped off. You know, they're up 69-60 and they get beat. And no excuse. I mean, there are people who were at the game who said, 
it looked like UCLA didn't want to win. I mean, some of the people who cover UCLA were saying, I think UCLA, they didn't care if they lost. They, they didn't, you know, and USC gave them the game. And uh, that's the problem I've got with this team. You know, they got a bad break with the DeAnthony Melton thing, and USC didn't handle that well. But uh, but I think, you know, they've still got a whole lot of athletes on this team. And, and I mean, you can make a case that they maybe – should not have lost a game all year until they got to Arizona. I mean, in the Pac-12. I mean, they're, you know, they shouldn't have lost the uh, home game to Washington. Uh, they didn't show up, didn't play any defense, let Washington shoot almost 70%. Uh, absolutely shouldn't have lost the Stanford game where they're up, uh, up big and, and stopped playing defense and then, then let a guy have a wide open 55-footer when all you got to do is at least stand in front of him. Uh, and then, uh, and then the Arizona State game. I mean, it, it's it's just, and now they're on the bubble. I mean, they're like 47, 48, and a lot of these, uh, you know, a playing game type team, and uh, they don't play hard, and they don't, you know, realize it doesn't seem like they go out there and say, you know, we've got to play 40 minutes of defense. We got to bust our tails. We got to use our defense to start our offense. I think it's pretty clear. I don't know that Andy agreed at the beginning of the year. I think he now realizes they've got to get deflections. They've got to get steals. They've got to get turnovers. They've got to run. Um, they've got to get their offense off their defense. It just doesn't look like that's completely set in to the players, that they really believe that they do have to play that way for 40 minutes because they've got a lot of long athletic bodies who don't necessarily play that well on the half court but they can beat you. If you can turn it into a game where you're running up and down the court and a lot of possessions and you make people, uh, you know, and they still have without Melton, they still have more depth than almost anybody they play. Uh, but um, they don't seem to understand that. They don't seem to believe it. I think one of the other things that's a challenge is to get basketball going at USC, I think you need a really dynamic, exciting uh, coach who – kind of says we're going to get the crowd involved we're going to get everybody involved we're going to make this uh you know part of the community i don't know if people are watching but arizona state i mean that wells fargo arena was a a a dead place for years and bobby hurley uh you know acts like a, a wild man sometimes but man they've got him going i mean they they are fired up and 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 that's a great environment for basketball and i never thought that would be the case and uh it gives you an, an example of, of the kind of things and, and i think usc had the kind of has the kind of athletes and the kind of depth that they could do that uh they just haven't i don't think and and, and so you know, you lose some of the games that you shouldn't lose. You get beat early in the year. You get beat your, you know, uh, Pac-12 opener at home. And you tend to lose, the, like, the students. So you're like, well, you know, they're not really playing that hard. They don't seem like it matters that much to them. And uh, I think somebody, you, to get it going at USC, I think you have to have a coach that's going to make it, make it look like it really, really, really matters and that the players have all bought in and that everybody's on the same page and you're going to just bust your, your tails. And uh, I don't think we see that enough. I think, you know, I don't think the season's over yet. I mean, I think they may have to go 4-1, and one, but 
in this Pac-12, how good is anybody? I mean, they're not that, you know, they're not, it's kind of like the football situation. You ought to have a shot. And I, I think it's wrong to say, oh, they're doing better than they were. Well, they had like the worst program. They're, the, you know, the most underperforming program in the country. So uh, to say that, you know, they're not bad. There are so many good high school basketball players in Southern California, and you've got the ability to recruit nationally if you want. Uh, there's so much going for this program that, um, and I think, again, the expectation should be really high. And uh, and I don't know, you know, how that's kind of slipped away, but it's it's sad to go, you know, watch a home game and not see the crowd into the game. And And I think you get a situation where I don't think you can ask the crowd to get the team into the game. I think the team has to get the crowd into the game. And I don't know, we don't see that enough for 40 minutes every single game. And um, if you did see that, you, you'd have the results that would have people in all those seats and really excited about basketball. And, and we haven't gotten there yet. And um, this was a, an opportunity this year, I think, really, uh, really missed unfortunately, for all you basketball people out there. Yeah, it's, it just seems like it's a snake bit program for whatever reason, you know? Like, they, it's, whenever it seems like everything's going well, uh, something bad happens. And, you know, this year the FBI stuff and then, other, you know, there's just it just always seems to never be able to get over the top with this program. Yeah, and I think basketball is so coach-driven. And I think, at USC, I think if you take the job, you've got to be committed to how do I get people excited about this program? How do I get people into the seats? How do I get that to be part of, you know, I, I think the new guy at um, at, at Washington who was the runner-up, um, you know, Mike uh, Hopkins I, uh, was the runner-up for the USC job and was the uh, longtime assistant at Syracuse uh, from modern day uh, originally. Uh, I think he's done a wonderful job at Washington with, with not nearly the talent USC has, but, uh, man, their fans are into it and they're, they're, you know, they play hard every game. And, uh, I think USC needs that. They really need that. They just, they kind of look like they're moping around at times and they kind of look at, at the end of these close games that they seem to not be able to figure out what to do. There seems to be a lack of confidence, a sense of we're going to do the right thing. We're going to pull this out. We're tough. We're, you know, we're, you know, we're ready to do the right thing. And you get the sense that they almost feel the opposite, where it's like, well, something's going to go wrong here. And very often something does. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. See if USC can make a run at this point. Um we do appreciate it. we got some basketball questions. We don't usually talk a lot yeah. of basketball on the uh, on the Peristyle podcast. And, well, uh, it's that time of year. I think uh, it's really crunch time. And, and, they're, and they're, you know, right now, I think, who was it? Was it Lenardi uh, at ESPN? I think he had both USC and UCLA in play-in games, which is fine with me. I think, you know, when you're playing like USC, one more game like they got last year, an extra game, is the way to go. I, I don't mind if you play that, you know, play-in game at Dayton. And uh, and if that holds up, the good news there is UCLA has to come to U- has to come to Galen for the last game of the of the season. And um, uh, if that happens, that's probably a plus for USC. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Does a great job covering the team over at uscfootball.com. Dan, thanks again. Thanks for uh, answering all the questions. We had a lot today, which I don't know, man. You, you think it's like the middle of February. You wouldn't think we'd get a ton, but we did. So, um, it's, But nice job with it. It's USC. It's USC. Yeah. It's never probably going to change. No. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.